Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Today, I'm filing a major class action lawsuit against Facebook, Google, and Twitter. Door to door, literally knocking on doors. So please get vaccinated now. A ransomware attack. It appears to have caused minimal damage to U.S. businesses. If the Russian government will not take action, we will take action on our own. Continue through the northern part of Florida. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. It is uh, Elsa Eve. Tropical Storm Elsa made landfall down in Cedar Key, Florida. Late this morning, it is expected to come into North Carolina early tomorrow morning. We're looking at probably uh, maybe up to three inches of rain question is how far east will it come and uh, we will get you know they go counterclockwise so we will get uh, probably a, a fair amount of rain as compared to the western side of the storm national hurricane center forecasts elsa to track up central north carolina through thursday elsa's impact will target our area from about 9 to 9 9 a.m to 9 p.m areas on the eastern side of highway 17 over to the beaches, should expect to see around an inch of rain and uh, wind gusts up to 40 miles an hour. And for the west side of Highway 17, expect to see one to three inches wind gusts, 35 miles an hour, as high as 35 miles an hour. So uh, all in all, it's going to be a rainy day. But uh, Elsa should have lost most of her punch by the time she gets to us. Carolina Journal is reporting North Carolina boasts three of the top four metro areas in a new national ranking comparing a decade's worth of housing growth to job growth. Guess who's at the bottom of the list? California. (laughs) Durham Chapel Hill ranks number one in the list of 20 metro areas just ahead of the Houston Sugarland, Texas area. Raleigh comes in at number three. Charlotte Concord, Gastonia comes in at number four. Phoenix, Arizona, Phoenix, Scottsdale area rounds out the top five. On the other end of the scale, San Francisco, Oakland, Haywood area in California is dead last. San Jose, Santa Clara, 19th out of 20. Riverside, San Bernardino, 18th. Los Angeles, New York, and Boston make up 15, 16, and 17. Uh, this was uh, this survey was done by the Manhattan Institute. The jobs to housing mismatch for what it means in the metropolitan areas. It compares employment growth to new housing permits during the last decade before COVID-19 hit. The report explains that government policies can stand in the way of communities matching housing options to job growth. Eric Kober. The Manhattan Institute senior fellow praised the metro areas that fared well on the list. The most impressive areas successfully achieved both density and plentiful supply, he said. Although he did go on to say that your blessings could also be your curse. That is, I mean, right now, look at the growth in Chapel Hill, Raleigh-Durham, Charlotte. It's, It's through the roof. So while they are at the top of the list in this decade, where will they be in the next decade? It could be a, a flip-flop. I mean, I'm, I'm 
not trying to put the whammy on those areas, but the growth is so phenomenal. And and people are wanting to get out of the Northeast. They're wanting to get out of the liberal states. They're wanting to get out of California. And that's what they're doing. And guess where they're going? Coming to places like North Carolina. Back in February, the Democrat-controlled North Carolina State Board of Education approved a sweeping rewrite of the state's social uh, studies standards. Now, you might remember this is the standards that our Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson vehemently came out against. Uh, By the way, as a sidebar, if you have not gone and listened to the entire speech— that Mark Robinson gave on the 4th of July to the conservative coalition up in the Greensboro area. It's on our Facebook page, ENC News and Views, or our our webpage, ENC News and Views. And you got to go listen to it. The guy is not only good, he's not only patriotic, he not only speaks off the top of his head, he could be a stand-up comedian, The guy is hilarious. Anyway, getting back to this article. So the Democrats back in February came out and decided they were going to rewrite the social studies curriculum. And basically, it is critical race theory that they're going to teach everything through the lens of racism and discrimination and that uh, the white guy's the bad guy. At least one local board of education has voted to delay the controversial new studies. The Moore County Board of Education voted unanimously on June the 14th to adopt a resolution urging the North Carolina State Board of Education or lawmakers to delay implementation of the new standards until the 22-23 school year. If either body fails to act, the board reserves the right to delay implementation unilaterally. The Moore County Board of Education wanted to send a strong message to the state board and the General Assembly last-minute delivery of unsourced, plagiarized, unpacking documents that only show one side is unacceptable, said board member David Hensley. That's a pretty powerful statement. Unsourced, plagiarized. So in other words, it sounds to me, if I'm reading between the lines, that the state school board, which is run by Democrats— Democrat-controlled, they're telling all the school boards, uh, this is what you're going to teach, sounded like they basically probably copied and pasted a bunch of links to a bunch of critical race theory garbage and uh, said, you figure it out, go teach it. If the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction cannot properly do their job, why are they expecting more than 100 school districts to pick up the slack from their shoddy work? They couldn't meet their own timelines or deliver an acceptable product, but they're going to hold school districts to a standard they themselves cannot even meet. Board member Robert Levy proposed a resolution. He called the State Board of Education unresponsive and rushed and getting the social studies standards put out. They don't even know what they want to teach. They just want to connect it to critical race theory. Dr. Terry Stoops, director of the Center for Effective Education at John Locke, noted the school boards have wide latitude, and he's talking about the county school boards, have wide latitude in making curriculum decisions and selecting instructional materials. 
I've got a better idea. Why don't you just go ahead and look, if they're going to make you do the work anyway, why don't you just tell them to stick it where the sun don't shine and go out and find a conservative. There's material out there. Private schools are using materials that are, are good. You've got the Abeka material. You've got other material out there that are available. Go get, go get that. A recent analysis by the Fordham Institute ranked the social studies standards that the North Carolina Board of Education, the state board, wants to use the worst in the Southeast, assigning an F to the U.S. history standards and a D- minus to civics. How do, how do you get an F in U.S. history? Probably by <laughs> by teaching critical race theory and n- none of the traditional U.S. history and a D minus to civics. I, I you know I what happened to the days when you know you actually were taught the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Gettysburg ex- Address. There was a day when you at least had to memorize the preamble. The State Board of Education is scheduled to vote tomorrow on adopting unpacking documents for grades 6 through 12 concerning the social studies standards. The board voted in mid-June to approve the K-5 unpacking documents. The House passed a measure, Senate Bill 654, that would delay the adoption of the social studies standards for all school districts for one year. That bill failed in the Senate and moved to a conference committee between the two chambers to resolve the differences. So, the, indeed, the legislature is working on a bill to delay this. Uh, now what they need to do is work on a bill to prevent critical race theory from being taught at all. I mean, at all. You know, what's interesting about this, just today, the Daily Wire is reporting that the president of the nation's second largest teacher union claimed that critical race theory is not being taught in public K-12 institutions. And and this is this is classic. I mean, this is the same thing they're doing with the defund the police. She's basically blaming the anti-critical race theory activists for, quote, bullying teachers from teaching students accurate history. Look, I'm, I know that there are some good teachers out there that are going against the tide of the administrations, the teachers' unions, etc., who are trying to do a good job. But it's been decades since the public school system, as an entire system, has, I should say, the government school system, has really tried to teach an accurate description of U.S. history. During a press conference with the American Federation of Teachers, President Randy Weingarten said that critical race theory is a theory used only in law school and colleges to analyze whether systemic racism exists. She denied that public schools and K-12 institutions were pushing critical race theory on their students. You know, just today, Fox News is reporting a story where two moms who were speaking against critical race theory in their school, their kids were expelled. Yeah, it doesn't it, it doesn't pass the smell test. And on top of that, and again, this is the same deal as the defund the police, which by the way 
the Washington Post, the liberal Washington Post, their fact checker dinged the Joe Biden White House for claiming Republicans were defunding the police. Now, this is this is they got three Pinocchios. This is the liberal Washington Post. Even they who carry the water for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, even they say, come on, this is beyond the pale. Recent remarks by White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki and senior Biden advisor Cedric Richmond had sought to turn the tables on months of some progressive Democrats advocating for slicing or even dismantling municipal police department budgets. Their logic was the GOP opposition to the $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief bill passed this year amounted to supporting defunding the police since there was $350 billion allocated for state and local government aid. And by the way, that $350 billion was not earmarked for police. It was allocated for state and local aid. That's all that was said about it. But even beyond that, how do you call this defunding the police? They, they weren't defunding the police. They voted against adding, I mean, even if you believe that the $350 billion would have gone for the, to the police, which it wasn't earmarked for the police, but even if you believe that, by not voting for additional money, you're equating that with defunding the police when it was the progressive Democrats that actually came out and demanded, and, and indeed they did in many of these cities, they actually went in and cut by large margins the police budget. So if you don't vote, I mean, even the Washington Post, Glenn Kessler came out and said, listen, not voting for the Biden bill, is that's not a reduction. But they continue to do it. I mean, we've been reporting it for the last several days. By the way, a new poll spells bad news for the progressive-backed defund the police movement. According to a survey conducted by Heritage Action, 64% of Americans oppose— This is why the Democrats are now trying to blame it on the Republicans. 64% of Americans oppose the movement to defund the police, and 52% of those registered voters strongly oppose stripping law enforcement of funding. Respondents also felt that Joe Biden is not standing up for law enforcement. Only 31% of those polled agreed that crime has been controlled better under the Biden administration. Is your head in the sand? Or is it somewhere else? (laughs) I mean, this this show's PG, so I won't say where. Far-left Democrats are the architects behind the defund the police movement. Still, the White House tries to blame on Republicans. I mean, I've played you audio. Jen Psaki saying that very thing to uh, Peter Ducey. The uh, reality of it all is the uh, support for the defunding the police comes from the Democratic lawmakers and activists. And cities run by Democrats have voted to defund the uh, law enforcement. And that's why we're seeing a violent spike. Ted Cruz said of the trying to blame the Republicans, for defunding the police. He said that's like an arsonist showing up at the fire and blaming the firemen. (laughs) Ted Cruz has got it right on the nose. We've got a lot more to talk about, both state and national. Stay with us. News and Views for a Wednesday continues right after this. 
and Shotgun with your 5 o'clock drive. And the drive home should be a delight. This is Tom Lamprecht with more news and views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. 24 minutes past the top of the hour. Taking a look at your weather forecast. Uh, next 24 hours, we're going to see some rain. Elsa is on the way. Chance of rain tonight, 20%. Low around 74 tonight. Tomorrow's high is only going to be 83. That's because we're going to have heavy cloud cover and possibly heavy rainfall, perhaps as much as two inches tomorrow. Chance of precip is 90%. Tomorrow night, again, an inch or two possible. Again, the chance of precip, 90%. Low around 73. And uh, winds will be gusty tomorrow. Friday, it clears up. Sunshine and a high near 90 so all in all, Elsa will uh, give us some rain, a little bit of uh, wind, but not too bad. The News and Observer is reporting, as we mentioned to you yesterday, the Carolina Journal, News and Observer, other outlets were reporting on Nicole Hannah-Jones turning down the offer to uh, go into the School of Journalism, fill the night chair, and... Uh, she got tenure, but she turned it down. She's going to Howard University anyway, anywhere, anyway, anywhere, uh, which for many of us, that's that's good news. Now, they'll go they'll go find a, another person who is just as liberal as Nicole Hannah-Jones. But she has come out and demanded that the way the state of North Carolina appoints members to the UNC Board of Governors be changed. Tim Moore, the North Carolina House Speaker, said, uh, no, nah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> no need. So she was set to teach. She decided after there was a lot of give and take and a lot of arguing over the tenure deal that um, she was not going to take it, and now she is demanding that we change how our state operates. The arrogance of this woman is mind-boggling. We talked about this yesterday. In the name of journalism, you rewrite history to the point that numerous professors at secular state-run universities that have no real compassion for accuracy in the conservative way of thinking, but even they called you out on it. Even NPR called you out on your 1619 project, how ridiculous it was. Then look at the fact that there have been, now they're coming out and saying, oh, other night chairs have received tenure. Why not her? Because she had no teaching experience. Other people that have received this chair had previous college teaching experience. She has none. So this, this would be pretty much the, the course to take. They offered her a five-year contract. Now, I, I looked, I spent about 20 minutes online today trying to find how much they offered her in the contract. I could not find an amount. That tells me it was embarrassingly high. Not embarrassingly low, embarrassingly high. Yet, Nicole Hannah-Jones 
insists that she was not offered a tenured position because she is a black female. I made it very clear, said it numerous times, that she's a black female. Uh, Let me ask this, Ms. Jones. Do you think for one second that if you were a white male that you have been offered even the five-year contract? I mean, any white male. Now, a white conservative male, you wouldn't even have the resume considered. Frankly, there are three reasons why you were offered this five-year contract. In fact, it was offered to you the first two reasons— now, you're saying, oh, I didn't, get it. I didn't get tenure because I'm a black female. The reason why you were offered it at all was because you were a black female. The third reason was you're a liberal black female. Yet she'll continue to propagate this. I mean, she's all about critical race theory to begin with. So she's now using herself as Exhibit A. And that everybody that was on the board of governors that voted against her, that proves her point of critical race theory. Don't let the door hit you in the rear end as you leave North Carolina. Not that you ever, she went to school here, but she's gone now. Donald Trump announced today that he will lead a lawsuit over alleged censorship against Twitter, Facebook, and Google, three tech companies that removed him from their platforms after the January 6th episode in Washington, D.C. The lawsuit will be class action. Trump is the lead plaintiff. He said this morning, I stand before you to announce a very important development for our freedom and freedom of speech. I'm filing as the lead class action representative a major class action lawsuit against the big tech giants, including Facebook, Google, and Twitter, as well as their CEOs. There's no better evidence that big tech is out of control and the fact that they banned the sitting president of the United States earlier this year. If they can do that to me, they can do it to anyone. I'm glad he's not only going after the companies, but going after the CEOs. Now, granted, I mean, they could could have to pay out who knows how many of millions of dollars and it wouldn't hurt their lifestyle one iota, but this is good. And my hunch is there he's going to win. I mean, these are supposed to be platforms and the reason why they have the protection that they have from the government against lawsuits is because they have been granted this section two thirty, which gives them profound protection from liability. Trump is going after them anyway. We'll see where it goes. I I think he's got a good shot at winning, but because they did what they did under Section 230, it's going to be a little bit more of a challenge. But yet they violated the idea that they were strictly platforms. In other words, if you're strictly a platform... The government has basically said, okay, we're not going to hold you liable for the things that are said on your platform because we're not going to, you're not responsible for what is said because you have millions of people putting stuff on the platforms. 
But then they turn around and they decide, well, we are going to censor certain things. And I think the, the, the way that Donald Trump and his lawyers are a lot smarter on this than I am, which, by the way, first uh, American First Policy Institute will be the lead um, folks representing Trump. But the thing that they're really going to have to show is the fact that Donald Trump is censored and people on the other side, the progressives, that are saying equivalent types of things, they're not censored. Conservativebrief.com is reporting that Kamala has gotten her comeuppance, got a smackdown from the Supreme Court. When Kamala Harris was the attorney general for the state of California, she issued a decree that charitable nonprofits would have to disclose their donor list. The Supreme Court just said, Kamala, no. She told charities they would have to submit the list of top donors, and if they did not, she would levy heavy fines against them. This from the Washington Examiner. It all started when her office demanded that we turn over the names and the content information of our major donors, which we felt was private and confidential, and we were ready to make a constitutional issue of it. So said Richard Thompson, who serves as the president and chief counsel of the Thomas More Law Center, which is a very conservative group. After a six-year battle, the Center for uh, the Center and the Americans for Prosperity Foundation prevailed earlier today, uh, or I'm sorry, prevailed last week before the Supreme Court in a 6-3 decision that found California's demand for donor data facially unconstitutional. The case now bears the name of California Attorney General Rob Bonta, who assumed office in April, but conservatives and free speech advocates want to ensure that the pivotal role played by Ms. Harris is not forgotten. The court sided with the conservatives that were suing in saying that such a requirement would infringe on the First Amendment. You know, this is interesting. Uh, Emily Siddell said Americans shouldn't have to choose between staying safe or speaking up. She went on to say, history shows us the ability to maintain privacy makes it possible for people to join together on causes and movements, which this is exactly what Emily Seidel said is exactly what Harris was trying to prevent. Harris was using the power of being the attorney general of the state of California the same way Barack Obama was using the IRS to target conservative groups. This is exactly what she wanted to do. She wanted to come after conservative groups. Now, she no doubt said with her edict, and again, this is an attorney general. This woman has no legislative powers, but that doesn't matter to Democrats. They abuse the living daylights out of any power that they get, and that's exactly what she did. So she would go and she would tell every group that you've got to give us your list of donors. The difference would be when they got to her office, they would, and as she said, now the, the names will be secure. Oh, the names will be secure. Yeah, right. Now, if it was a liberal group, those names would be secure. But if it was a group like the Thomas More group, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, we, they accidentally leaked out somehow. We don't know how that happened. Sorry. Oh, we're so Sorry. This is exactly what Kamala Harris was doing, the same thing that Obama did with the IRS, the same thing that the Biden administration 
is doing with the IRS. By the way, that group out of Texas came out this afternoon that because there's been so much pressure from Republicans and conservative groups and screaming and hollering, and you know, uh, Mark Robinson is, is correct in that people are starting to get loud, and uh, the patriotic people of the United States need to get louder. But people have gotten loud with the IRS, and the IRS finally relented. And this, we reported on this a week ago. There's this Texas-based Christian group that basically were denied a tax-exempt status because the IRS said, well, your Christian principles— what you teach out of the Bible on marriage, on ethics, on the nation of Israel, on a number of different things, the things that you teach out of the Bible align too closely with the Republican Party. <laughs> and so therefore, we're not going to give you tax-exempt status. You know, the Democrats, they might want to consider some biblical ethics themselves. They might just want to consider it, that's all I'm saying. But uh, anyway, they finally relented and allowed this group out of Texas. I'm trying to think of what their name was. Um, But this group out of Texas, they finally—oh, Christians Engaged was the name of the group. They finally came out and said, okay, we'll give you your tax-exempt status. But uh, again, every chance they get to make it harder for conservatives and conservative Christians— Liberals are going to do it. Liberals are absolutely going to do it. In fact, there's a story here. Uh, let me see if I can find it. It was, um, yeah, Joy Reid. Just talking about liberals trying to make it hard on, on, on Christians, conservatives. Joy Reid, MSNBC. She was interviewing the woman who is running against Marco Rubio for the U.S. Senate. And basically, the the congresswoman, uh, Val Demings, she's now running against uh, Marco Rubio. The two were on, and they started making fun of Rubio's faith. And Marco Rubio, I, I think he's Roman Catholic, I'm pretty sure he is, But he does speak about his faith quite often, and it's not uncommon that he tweets Bible verses. I mean, just almost as just—it doesn't—some of them are just random. Some of them are related to issues, but some of them are just random. And and it's sort of like, hey, that's a good thing. I'm all for that. Who's been hurt by reading some Bible verses to start their day? Joy Reid says of Marco Rubio and his Bible verses, people like Marco Rubio, who you're running against in the United States Senate, as she's talking to Val Demings, Rubio tweets Bible verses every day for random reasons. These people aren't saying to themselves, I don't want to be associated with white supremacists. <laughs> Do you hear what she's saying? She's saying if you tweet Bible verses, you want to be associated with white supremacists. Now, I don't know of any white supremacist or Klan member that goes to Bible study 
And then the next night goes out and burns some crosses and puts their hood on. I'm sorry. I just, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, that doesn't jive with me there, Joy. So basically, if you're a conservative Christian, if you read your Bible and you're a conservative, you're a white supremacist. Wow. Can't make it up. Stay with us. News of Views continues right after this. the show that really makes you think he is a genius he's all powerful he brought a kind of heat he could be the best just don't hurt yourself okay more news and views on talk 96.3 and 103.7 welcome back in 17 minutes before the top of the hour and it is pouring outside of our studios so uh, be careful if you're on the way home drive safely as uh, water was going to pond up on the roadways in particular areas, although you know, this is the kind of uh, weather it's pouring like a fire hose here and two miles down the road, probably the sun is shining. Uh, the sad story down in Miami where that uh, condo collapsed, the death toll is now at 46. Ten more people were found in their uh, apartments, their condominiums, and um, not good. Still 94 are under, under unaccounted for, I should say. Uh, you know, if there's if there's any possible, I mean, there's nothing good out of this. I, I guess I would just say this, though, that many of the people that, you know, this happened in the middle of the night, and many of the, the bodies they're finding are people that were actually in their beds asleep when it happened. Um, you, you hope that uh, they didn't suffer. But uh, tragedy. They're taking... Apparently, they're taking, after they sift through the rubble, they're taking it all to a warehouse. Uh, they're going to try to figure out exactly what caused this thing to collapse. Uh, smarter people than I will have to figure it out. But I don't know how you, uh, you know, that's like trying to put a uh, scrambled egg back in the shell. It's a, it's a mess. Two soldiers were injured during a rocket attack at an air base in western Iraq yesterday, or actually earlier today. Army officials reported a series of at least 14 rockets hit the Iraqi air base, housing both U.S. and international forces um, with structures in the surrounding areas. U.S. officials told Fox News that one American service member injured during the rocket attack suffered a concussion while the other had minor scrapes following the incident. You know, it's uh, interesting to note when Donald Trump was in his last uh, couple of years in office, we didn't have too many stories like this. Uh, this is the second one we've had in less than a week. What does that tell you? I mean, Biden gets up and tells us now how we're so much more respected around the world. Really? You know, the people that have been sponging off of us up till Donald Trump made them pay their fair share I don't care whether they respected us or not. The people that I wanted to respect the United States were people who would attack the United States, who would be in fear of attacking the United States because they respected us. 
Joe Biden can get up and, oh, you know, we're now respected around the world. Baloney. Convicted lawyer Michael Avenatti. He was the Stormy Daniels attorney, the guy that tried to sue Nike, basically tried to blackmail Nike is what he did. He is not going to have a pleasant future. U.S. District Judge Paul Gardif has denied a request from Avenatti for a new trial and ruled that prosecutors' alleged improper conduct did not impact a jury that found Avenatti reportedly he tried to extort $25 million from Nike, found guilty in February. Um, he will be sentenced late, probably tomorrow, sometime this week. Bloomberg is reporting that he could get 11 to 14 years in prison. This guy was a... Uh, Remember, he used to constantly, when he was trying to badmouth Donald Trump, and this is what you need to remember out of the story. When he was trying to badmouth Donald Trump, he was on CNN and MSNBC daily slamming Donald Trump, trying to tell how, you know, basically Donald Trump was a rapist who, you know, just abused Stormy Daniels, then paid her off, and nothing ever came of that as far as Donald Trump getting in trouble. And yet MSNBC and CNN constantly had this joker on trying to badmouth Donald Trump. Then we find out that he's embezzling from Stormy Daniels, his client. He took something like $148,000. He forged a letter. She had written some book. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure that's a classic. She had written a book, and the publisher was getting ready to send her, I guess, a royalty check or, I don't know, upfront check or whatever they're sending her. He comes up and forges her name to a letter telling the publisher to send him the money. So he gets this $148,750 he stole from Daniels, went out and spent it, and apparently there's five other clients he did the same thing to. Then he's trying to extort money from uh, Nike, And at the same time, he's going on these interviews saying he's going to be running for the presidency. (laughs) He might be the presidency of cell block B. That's the only presidency he's going to have. Hey, we got to take another time out. I'll be right back. Back to news and views. Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. So earlier this year, Joe Biden announced as he was bragging, basically taking credit for... uh, the vaccines for COVID. Uh, He announced that his administration had the goal of getting 70% of Americans vaccinated for the Wuhan coronavirus by July 4th. That didn't happen. So since July 4th, he and Jin Psaki have both come out and said, among other things, they're going to go door by door and see if people are vaccinated. The president will outline five areas his team is focused on to get more Americans vaccinated. One, uh, targeted community-by-community door-to-door outreach to get remaining Americans vaccinated by ensuring they have the information they need on how both safe and accessible the vaccine is. Two, a renewed emphasis on getting the vaccines to more primary care doctors and physicians, something that we've seen. A special focus on five ways to make gains in getting those of you who are unvaccinated vaccinated. 
because here's the deal. We are continuing to wind down the mass vaccination sites that did so much in the spring to rapidly vaccinate those eager to get their first shot and their second shot, for that matter, if they need the second. Now we need to go to community by community, neighborhood by neighborhood, and oftentimes door to door, literally knocking on doors to get help to the remaining people protected from the virus. Listen, if somebody from the government shows up at your door, you tell them it is none of their business. And if you want to add a couple of adjectives in there, that's fine with me. I mean, don't say yes, don't say no. Just politely say it is none of your business. Here's what you tell them. Tell them, uh, this is my body. And that's a private matter. That's a decision between me and my doctor. And this is unbelievable that they come out and say what they're saying. And by the way, now they're coming out and saying this Delta variant. Oh, it's so de- so much more deadly, which is a crock. It's a total crock. And it, it, it's, it's more contagious, but it's a lot less deadly. So, I mean, you, it's okay. You're going to catch a cold. You're catching cold is, you know, this, that's highly contagious. Um, but it's not deadly. If they show up at your house, tell them it is none of their business. Tell them it's my body and it's a private matter between my doctor and I. Wow. Fox News is reporting, unfortunately, an Indiana police officer was shot and killed near a federal building earlier today, hours after an officer in Chicago, along with two federal agents, were shot while working undercover. Authorities in Terre Haute were looking for a suspect who is believed to be driving a Ford F-150 with the rear end damage, considered armed and dangerous. This according to the Fox affiliate there. Terre Haute Police Sergeant Ryan Adamson was uh, said the officer was shot in the line of duty. Our officer passed away. Uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to that guy's family. Um, so police officers are ambushed. One is shot and killed. Three are shot. Three others are shot. Do you think there'll be any uh, marches for them? Do you think there'll be any protests for them? Do you think they'll demand justice for them? Uh, yeah, and then they're going to turn around and say, oh, yeah, it's the Republicans that want to defund the police. Unbelievable. Hey, thanks for spending the hour with me. Have a great evening. We'll do it again tomorrow. We'll play a little political trivia. We'll see you then. Hey, by the way, real quick, Ted Budd is going to be with us for the early part of tomorrow's program. So the Senate candidate for U.S. Senate, Ted Budd, tomorrow at 5. We'll see you. Bye-bye, everybody.